0: Good morning again, everybody. Turn with me if you would. In your Bibles to Revelation chapter 10, we at Order of Grace Baptist Church do not believe or intend to emotionally manipulate you. And there are some that would say if you are to order or properly order a good morning worship service,
1: you should coordinate on themes. Music should be just so. Um, and we found, um, certainly the Lord orders everything <laughs> and, um, he
0: has told us that we're to do all things decently and in order, but what we don't do, because we have committed ourselves to the exegetical teaching of God's word, we don't call each other up and say, Hey, what are you talking about? Can we marry up on themes here so that it looks like we pre-planned this? No. Um, what amazes me time and time again is how the Lord orders the teaching and preaching of his word when we are committed to doing just that, being faithful to it. And time and time again, we see reoccurring themes when we trust him to do just that. And today will be no exception. That's why I was smiling this
1: morning. Last, uh, Last week, we looked at what would be the sixth trumpet in Revelation chapter
0: 9. And we looked at verses 12 through 19
1: last week and came away with a a stark truth that resounds as you finish the reading of the sixth
0: trumpet. And that's in Revelation chapter 9 verses 20 and 21, and we've looked at the first two woes now, and the book of Revelation reveals for us the two sides of a great spiritual warfare that is taking place, and it demands of us a declaration of our loyalty. Again, reoccurring theme. What was the uh, the command to Israel? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Joshua put it before them, Elijah puts it before them and we see the same uh, reoccurring theme as we study the book of Revelation. It is a declaration of both sides. What side do we belong to? What camp are our feet in? In Revelation chapter 9, verses 20 and 21, it says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons. And idols of gold, and by the way, demon worship, we we tend to relegate that to the time of Elijah. It's just as prevalent today. In fact, what what animates idolatry is the worship of demons. But he continues, the idols of gold, silver, bronze, and stone, and wood, which cannot see, hear, or walk, nor do they repent of their murders, or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. The next two chapters that we will look at between the six and seven trumpets will answer a question, just as we had an interlude at the end of the sixth seal. We'll have an interlude here. And at the end of the sixth seal, if you will recall, there was a question with all of this judgment coming upon sinful humanity. The resounding question at the end of the opening of the sixth seal was who. Can stand. And then we had that transition, that gracious interlude that God gives us in Revelation chapter seven, which is what? It's a picture of all of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ gathered together of every tribe, tongue, nation. And it answers the question who can stand? And of course, the answer to that was everyone that had been marked out and sealed by the Holy
1: Spirit could stand. During the judgment. So what is the question that's in front of us as we end
0: chapter nine? Well, really, it is why are these people to be judged? Why are these unrepentant people to be judged? And the reality is, is there are ramifications to worshiping demons, worshiping idols, to murder, sorcery and sexual immorality. There is a declaration of loyalty that we're seeing played out as we study the book of Revelation. In this chapter, there are four points, and I was uh, ambitious enough to think I would cover all 11 verses this morning. Not happening, just so you know. Um, We're only going to cover the first four verses, but there's four points to this chapter that I want to bring out. First of all, the first two verses deals with the angel and the scroll, the mighty angel, and then verses three and four deal with the seven thunders. Verses five through seven will deal with the promise. And again, this is a picture that God gives to encourage the church. After we've looked at the last two chapters, the fifth and sixth trumpet, they are vivid in their description of satanic darkness that God is going to allow to play out on this earth in judgment on sinful humanity. It's dark. It's very dark. You say, well, how is that an encouragement to the church? Well, number one, the church needs to understand what is happening around them. We cannot be prepared. We cannot live and please God in this wicked generation in which we live if we have no clue as to what's going on around us. But the point of encouragement is. That God is conquered on our behalf. We are victorious already. And so while we see those two chapters dealing with the six and seven trumpets. We'll see the answer to the question why God will punish the unrepentant as we look at the next um, two or three chapters. So this morning, I want to look at, as I said, the first two points. And let's go to verse one of chapter 10. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud. With a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. Again, we've come to understand as we study the book of Revelation that this is symbolism. Spiritual symbolism that has um, real-life connotations, just because it is spiritual symbolism does not mean it's any less real. But this is a picture that the book of Revelation is painting for us to convey truth that we need to know, that we need to understand. And so here we see another mighty angel. So first of all, a couple of observations. We see a shift in John's perspective here. Where were we when we studied John, Revelation chapter four? Remember, the spirit of God calls John up in Revelation chapter four to where? The throne room, thank you. And we see everything being carried out from the decree of the throne. That is, we see the supremacy of the throne of God. He is ruling. He is sovereign. He is in control. Here is a shift of perspective. Not that any of that is less true. But again, the book of Revelation will show us the same thing from different angles to increase our understanding of those things. So what we're seeing here is is a, a, a shifting of John's perspective. Chapter 4, he was brought into the heavenly throne room.
1: Now he's looking up, and what does he see? He sees another mighty angel coming down from heaven. Revelation is a kaleidoscope of perspectives, and
0: it's intended to teach the church the truth of what is not readily
1: or easily visible because things are not what they seem to be. So John writes for us, there is another mighty angel. Well,
0: when we see words like that, we begin to understand that they tie ideas together as we study through the book of Revelation. So where have we seen a mighty angel prior to this? Some of you are nodding like you know, but I had to look this up because I didn't remember It's back in chapter five, Revelation chapter five, verses one and two. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And look at verse two. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. Now there is much debate amongst scholars and commentators when they see this mighty angel with a scroll in his hand. Is this a different scroll? Is this a different revelation? Is this chapter two, if you will, the book of Revelation? But but there is some deliberate language that, that links us right back to the opening of The seven seals in Revelation chapter 5. The first thing that we see is the reference to the mighty angel. Nowhere else in the book of Revelation do we see this. So when John says, I see another mighty angel, the first reference to the mighty angel is in Revelation
1: chapter 5, verse 2. And he is proclaiming with a loud voice, Where is the worthy one that can open the scroll?
0: Now, one of the other Questions that comes up as you as you look at this is who is the mighty angel? There are some people that will debate and make the argument, and there's some legitimacy in the argument that this is a picture of Christ. But the reason I think it's not him, and it is what scripture says it is, which is a mighty angel, is for a couple of reasons. In Revelation chapter 5, when the mighty angel asks, with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll? Is that Jesus asking the question? Because Jesus is the one that is worthy to open the
1: scroll. So it's the same mighty angel here portrayed with a loud voice. We see that in verse 3 of chapter 10.
0: And I believe we'll see that this is one in the same scroll. We'll look at that in just a minute. Before we talk about the scroll, though, The question is, who is the mighty angel?
1: The description that we see of of this angel in Revelation chapter 10 is
0: very similar to what we see in Ezekiel chapter 1. So I want to take us back, um, do an Old Testament survey here for just a minute, a couple of minutes, as we look at this. There is much said in historical church. Um, writings about angelology, if you will. That is a real word. We don't often use it, but the church has ebbed and flowed from one ditch to the other when we talk about angels. Um, historically, there's been uh, an incredible fascination with angels in some of the early writings to the point that there's almost, you could argue, angel worship or angel deification. Then the pendulum swings, and and you could argue now that much of the modern day church is fascinated with what? Demonology.
1: There's there's that pendulum swing. Scripture and our call is to be biblical or to be balanced.
0: So as we talk a little bit this morning about angelology, want to remind ourselves and, and, and remind each other that it's imperative that we are balanced with scripture Um, scripture has much to say about angels but it is never intended that they are deified or elevated to the point of worship in fact as you as you go through and study the encounters through scripture you will find one thing that every time attention or glory is brought to an angel what does he do he redirects it to the lord which is a perfect reminder to you and I to do exactly what? The same thing. So in Ezekiel chapter one, verses 22 through 28, I'm not going to take the time to read this, but Ezekiel has a vision of these four creatures, and they are the creatures that are around the throne. And in verse 28 of Ezekiel chapter one, he says, they like the appearance of a bow that is in a cloud. On the day of rain, so the appearance of the brightness all around, such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and heard the voice of one speaking. Now, just a thought on that. We see a similarity here. There are descriptions of this mighty angel that are very Christ-like. We see it with the appearance of, of the face that shines. Um, Ezekiel points it out. He says, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. And what I want to point out for you this morning is that as we go through this. You're going to see Christ likeness in the servants of the most high. That is his angels. There is no doubt a Christ likeness described here in the mighty angel that we see in Revelation chapter 10. And, and some commentators have concluded this is a picture of Christ, and I, I disagree with that, and I'll show you why, but, but there's a bigger picture here that we want to get to. This is less about who this is and more
1: about what is being conveyed here, but, but let's talk for a minute about who this is. Whenever we see and we study angels in Scripture, they are always
0: tasked with incredibly important missions, as we
1: find them interacting with the saints of God and the enemies of God, so possibility number one: there are some named angels in scripture, okay Anybody know an angel's name from the Bible? Michael and Gabriel, you guys passed the test. he's a bad guy though. Is an angel. Yes, he is. You're right. That was a trick question. Possibility number one. Could it be Gabriel?
0: Gabriel by name is named warrior or man of God. Gabriel is an incredibly powerful or mighty angel. And this is where we, we find a lot about him in Luke chapter one in verse five. We have Gabriel come to the parents of who? John the Baptist. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, Lot is little L, not the person. But the picture is the casting of Lots was a decider as to who would serve. Sheer coincidence that on the day he drew his lot to go in, and serve in the temple
1: and burn incense, he would meet the angel of the Lord. No, not a coincidence. Verse 10, and the whole multitude
0: of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Now, there, there are understatements, and then there are understatements. and. I think this may be um, downplaying just a little what, what Zachariah was feeling at that moment. He was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth
1: And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? In other words, where's the proof? Now, the scripture says on the outset, Zechariah is a righteous man. He's a man of God. But he's human. He's sinful. Here is the
0: angel of the Most High standing, talking to him. And he's like, how do I know you're telling me the truth? And he says to him, I am Gabriel. And listen to this. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And
1: oh, by the way,
0: behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Gabriel very graciously says, Zachariah. I came from the presence of God with this message of encouragement to you and your wife, Elizabeth. And because you do not believe me, I'm going to strike you mute until these things come to pass. Yeah. Well, so there's two things happening here. You see incredible power on the part of Gabriel and, and he's commissioned by God to bring a message of encouragement to the people of God. These Scripture says in Hebrews, these are ministering spirits. Their point is to encourage. We find
1: that with Elijah in chapter 19. But they're not to be trifled with. And he, and he tells he tells Zachariah, You didn't believe me, and there's going to be a
0: consequence to that. Possibility number two. That was Gabriel. Possibility number two, and I think the likely answer. For the mighty angel in Revelation 10 is Michael, the archangel. Michael, the archangel, and his his name, by the way, means him who is like
1: God. Excuse me. In Daniel chapter 12, it says this, verse 1. At that time
0: shall arise Michael, the great prince. Listen to this. He has charge of your people. Mm -hmm. What is Michael's job? He's, he is charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as, was never ha- such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. What is he talking about here? The last day where there will be the resurrection of the dead to the judgment. And so here's Michael talking, or Daniel talking about Michael. And he says, he tells Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Revelation 12, 7 through 9. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who was called the devil, the deceiver of the whole world. For he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, Jude, verse 8 and 9, also references Michael. It says this in verse 8 of Jude, and there's only one chapter. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, to file the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. We don't know what the argument was. The scripture says it was over the body of Moses, but the arguers were Michael, and Satan, Satan trying to get Michael to blaspheme. Maybe this is, is uh, there, there's not much there that we, can, that we can take away from that. However, the one thing that we can take away from this is that our culture loves to exalt Satan and frame
1: Satan as the equal or the equivalent to who? God. God. Right. You have good and evil, and often the polars
0: that our culture will take us to is God and Satan. Is Satan an equivalent on the opposite end of the spectrum to God? No, absolutely not. He is a created being. But but where we see equivalency in Scripture as the two seem
1: to be going toe-to-toe on occasion, is Michael and Satan. Michael is seen as the equivalent to the wicked one. And in this case, in terms of rank and authority, we find that Michael
0: is most likely a little bit more, I don't know the degree, but more powerful than Gabriel. Look in Daniel chapter 10. Verse 13, this is Gabriel talking. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Now, I don't think this is talking about the earthly prince of Persia. I think we're talking about spiritual warfare here. Gabriel has been restrained or constrained by this enemy. And what does he say? But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. So I think the mighty angel that we're looking at here is very likely Michael. Scripture refers, as we go through the scripture, to the angel of the Lord, the messenger of God, the one who is like God. How do we know that?
1: Well, these angels... The angel of the Lord is always sent when dealing with a matter of great importance.
0: This angel has for his appearance the likeness of the glory of God. And we see the appearance of the angel of the Lord throughout Scripture, carrying out vital missions, speaking on behalf of God. So let's trace a few examples. How about righteous lot? Genesis chapter 19. Now, when we're reading scripture, a lot of times we breeze right past these occasions. But in Genesis chapter 19, we find two angels came to Lot's, Lot's rescue in Genesis nineteen ten, But the men reached out their hands. This was after the men of Sodom and Gomorrah knocked on the door and said, bring them out. They had wicked intent, but the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Lot did not know who he had in his house that night. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Okay. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters up, get us out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. We know the rest of that story. Abraham and Isaac. God calls Abraham, take your son, your only son, take him up on the mountain, and you're to offer him as a sacrifice. Genesis 22:10. How many times have we read this, thinking this is the Lord speaking? Now, it is the Lord speaking, but notice he's speaking through the angel of the Lord. Genesis 22:10. then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, saying you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Verse 15 of Genesis 22, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said by myself, Have I sworn, declares the Lord. Now, the angel is speaking on behalf of God. He says, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son. I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have
1: obeyed my voice. About Moses at the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3. And we
0: skip over this part sometimes. In Exodus chapter 3, in verse 2, it says And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Israel being led through the wilderness. We just talked about who had charge of the people. In Exodus twenty twenty three. 23, it says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and bring you to the place that I have prepared. This is God speaking to Israel as they leave Egypt. I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be the enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I blot them out. We'll talk about how God used the angel in the wilderness in just a minute. Balaam and the cursing of Israel. Numbers twenty two twenty
1: two. Remember Balaam's donkey? He's riding along, ready to get the bride, curse Israel.
0: But God's anger, No, Numbers twenty two twenty two. God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord stood or took his stand in the way of his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him. And so begins the discourse between Balaam and his donkey.
1: And and his donkey's like, do you not see the angel of the Lord standing right in the path? Beat me all you want, but I'm not going by him. Judges 13, 15. The angel of the Lord
0: announcing the birth of a certain Nazarite by the name of Samson. Manoah, Judges 13, Manoah, the father of Samson, said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare, listen to this, if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, This is where that curiosity about angels comes in. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you.
1: And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. So Manoah took the
0: young goat with the grain offering and offered it, listen to this, offered it on a rock to the Lord. And the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up, toward heaven from the altar. The angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now, Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. What did, what did the angel tell them when, he, when they wanted to know who he was? That's not important. What's important is what I'm here to tell you and you should obey. Mark, you, you touched on this. this morning, <laughs> second or first Chronicles 21.
1: The angel of the Lord makes himself evident at the numbering of the warriors of Israel. And
0: first Chronicles 21 starts out with this statement.
1: Then Satan
0: stood against Israel and incited David to number
1: Israel. Satan tempted David. Now this is David's sin and David owns it, but Here is a great temptation brought to bear against David. And what was the temptation here? Israel, think about how strong you are, how powerful you are. Count your
0: soldiers so that you can compare them to the enemy that comes against you, because surely you'll be victorious because of the strength of your army. And who told Israel who was to fight for them? God. So, the great sin of this is that Israel is tempted to not trust the Lord to fight against their enemies. So, David gives into
1: this. And then, if you look down, (laughs) excuse me, the angel of the Lord comes to David's seer, his prophet, if you will, and he tells
0: Gad, David's seer, to go talk to David. And he says this, verse 11, thus says the Lord, choose what you will. Here's the punishment, either three years of famine, three months of devastation by your foes, while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord. Pestilence on the land with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now decide what answer I shall return to him who sent me. Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. Listen to this, verse 14. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel and 70,000 men of
1: Israel fell. How did they fall? Verse 15. And God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it.
0: But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and he relented from the calamity. And he said to the angel who was working destruction, it is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was standing by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven. And in his hand, a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell upon their faces. And David said to God, was it not I who gave command to number the people? It is I who have sinned and done great evil. But these sheep, what have they done? Please let your hand, O Lord, my God, be against me and my father's house. But do not let this plague be on your people. Now the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord. On the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So, what is the angel of the Lord telling David to do? You are rightfully under the wrath and the judgment of God. You have one remedy, one, mm-hmm. the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. David, as he goes to build the altar, we find if you read down to the end of the chapter, Verse 27, the Lord commanded the angel and he put his sword back into a sheath. At that time, when David saw the Lord had answered him at the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite, he sacrificed there for the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses had made in the wilderness and the altar of burnt offering were at that time in the high place at Gibeon. But listen, but David could not go before it to inquire of God. Why? For he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. This is a picture of the mighty angel of the Lord who, like that, destroyed 70,000 Israelites. How about Elijah after his confrontation with Baal? In 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll look at that in the very near future. But he himself went a day's journey, this is Elijah, into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die. Because of the great repentance of Israel and the fact that there's a national revival. Elijah wants to give up. And he said, it is enough, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he laid down and slept, <coughs> excuse me, under a broom tree. And behold, an angel t- touched him and said to him, arise and eat. We've got another marathon to run. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a caked a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down. And then the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40
1: nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Think about that meal. The angel fed him. And it lasted him 40 days. That's powerful food right there.
0: Isaiah prophesying concerning uh, Assyria in Second Kings 19. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mounted against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. He shall not come into the city, declares the Lord For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Listen to this. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When people arose early in the morning,
1: behold, these were all dead bodies. Seeing the picture here. Zechariah chapter 3. Verses
0: 1 through 10, we have a vision by Zechariah, and he is seeing Satan opposing and accusing Joshua. And it says, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now, Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured of Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and you shall have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here.
1: The angel of the Lord talking to Joshua and he's reminding him of the one who can make him
0: clean in light of the accusations of Satan. Satan is standing there opposing Joshua as a leader of Israel, accusing him, the scripture says. And listen to what the angel says to him. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my
1: servant, the branch, large or capital B. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus. For behold, on the stone that
0: I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Talking about the Lord Jesus. The answer to Satan's accusation is the righteousness of Christ. Notice that. Let's go to the New Testament. Protecting Mary and Joseph. Look in Matthew chapter 1. Verse 20 of Matthew 1, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit.
1: When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife. We see
0: later that he goes to Egypt to escape Herod, also led by the angel of the Lord. How about the resurrection? Matthew chapter 28, verse two. Behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. We see the releasing of the apostles from prison and the angel of the Lord confirming their mission in Acts chapter five. Verse 17, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. What does the angel do? He turns the apostles loose and says, now go back in the temple in their faces And preach the gospel. Why? Because they weren't alone. They were not by themselves. That's the picture that we keep seeing here. Elijah thought
1: he was all by himself. Things are not what they seem to be. How about this one? Peter, we know the story of of Philip, excuse me, and the Ethiopian, don't we?
0: We know that well. But listen to this. We, met, we gloss over this so many times. Acts 8, 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he arose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he came to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the
1: prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join his chariot. What happens? Philip is converted. Or excuse me, the eunuch is converted. And he's baptized. What
0: part did the angel play in that? Philip, go over there. Go down this back road in the middle of the wilderness. And he is attending to a divine appointment. That Philip has with the eunuch. How about rescuing Peter from prison in Acts chapter twelve verse seven? Behold, the angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, "Get up quickly!" And the chains fell off his hands. In Acts twelve twenty three, we read, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. And on an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting the voice of God and not a man regarding Herod. Listen to this. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down. Because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. See, all through Scripture, we see this interaction that we have with the angel of the Lord. So let's look at the description of the mighty angel in Revelation 10. Scripture says he has a rainbow over his head. The imagery of the rainbow shows us where the strong angel comes from, because we read in Revelation chapter 4, verse 3, And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow. So when we see the image of this angel in Revelation 10 with a rainbow over his head, it's telling us where he came from. Where does this angel derive his authority? From the throne, from the presence of God, just as we saw through every example in the old Testament. When the angel shows up, To to accomplish his mission, he has the authority of God, thus says the Lord. The Scripture says his face was like the sun. And we talked about the picture of Christ's likeness here in Revelation 1.16. It refers to Jesus in his right hand. It said that as Jesus held the seven stars from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and
1: his face was like the sun shining in full strength. But notice this one. Legs like pillars of fire. Now, what do you think of when you read pillars of fire? Oh, there you go. In the wilderness. When, when God says,
0: obey my angel, what was he talking about? At night, there was what?
1: Pillar of fire. At day, there was what? cloud. And what was Israel to do? It was very simple. If
0: that that cloud moves, you move. If that pillar of fire moves, you follow it. You're to obey the angel. like Legs like pillars of fire. We read that passage in Exodus 23 where the Lord says, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. This mighty angel is a picture to remind us of God's covenant faithfulness and his providential care for his people. Think about that. Whenever we see the angel in scripture coming to the saints of God, what is he
1: doing? What is he doing? He's encouraging them. He's girding them up, if you will. We looked at Elijah, or we will, in in chapter 19
0: of 1 Kings. What does he do? He doesn't sit down and have this great big theological debate on angels with Elijah. What's he do? Elijah, wake up, eat this food that I have prepared for you and go live for 40 days without eating
1: again. But these angels are a picture of God's providential care throughout the history of the saints. To remind the saints that God is faithful. He takes impossible situations that defy all reason and all logic, and he delivers his people. The angel is also sent to commission the prophet John.
0: We'll see that as we get a little further in this chapter, but the angel reaffirms John's commission. He tells John to take and eat the scroll. And he says, and I was told you must again prophesy about many people, nations, languages, and kings. And so the angel is sent to John to remind him, you're not done prophesying. Verse two, it says he had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. <laughs> this question, what is the little scroll? And we've made Or we we've made the repeated argument that Revelation is a picture of different scenes looking at or being looked at from different angles. This scene that we see in Revelation 10 mirrors a scene from from chapter five. Where we're introduced to the scroll that no one is worthy to open except for the lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I think this picture here, as we look at this, is a picture of God's will being obediently carried out by the mighty angel. So what does he have in his hand?
1: Does he have a closed scroll? Scripture says he has an open scroll. Who opened it? The Lamb. And when we
0: went through Revelation chapter 5, and I'll touch on this briefly just by way of reminder, but when we talked about the contents of the scroll, what is in view with the scroll is the redemptive history that is only opened by him who has right to do it which is the lamb and it's talking about the redemptive history of God's people his church the scroll contains God's fully declared will we looked at that in Isaiah 46 it reveals the eternally planned expansion of redemption these are things that we looked at. I'm just giving you a quick reminder. Um, we don't have time to go back over, but it involves the bitter sweetness of redemption because this picture that we'll see later and we'll look at it next time is is a a restatement of ezekiel one twenty six um, and three Ezekiel three verse three. These are words of lamentation, mourning and woe, yet sweet as well. And we see the full character of God revealed and on display here as the scroll is opened. It also includes the numbering and naming of the redeemed. Remember, we read Daniel chapter 12. And in Daniel 12, verse one, it says, but at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. So the shift in view here is from the sealed scroll in chapter five, opened by the lamb to the angel carrying out the divine direction from the throne. And this we have biblical precedent to see to see this. What is the angel doing? He sets his right foot on the sea and he sets his left foot on the land. Now, that's an interesting picture. What does that tell us? Now, we've already seen with the opening of the seven seals and the blowing of the seven trumpets that, that these are um, scenes of judgment, both on sea and land that we've looked at already. But what is the picture of him standing on both sea and land? What's the imagery there? Control of the whole of the- Sovereignty. We could put it in one word sovereignty. God is reminding us that he is sovereign. Over everything, because this is key. What we will find as we read just a little bit further, and we're going to come back to this and we'll be reminded of this. What comes out of the sea and the land as we read just a little bit further? The beast and the dragon. So the picture here is God is saying, my servant, my angel, me, I am sovereign over the enemy that you're about to face or we're about to see. J.K. Beale, who is a really good commentator on the book of Revelation, he says this, the heavenly being's sovereignty over sea and land shows us that God is ultimately in control over the dragon. When the dragon stands on the sands of the sea in chapter 12, verse 17. And in verse chapter 13, verse one, it says, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. With the 10 heads and seven, or with 10 horns and seven heads, with 10 diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head, we see that picture of the dragon
1: and the beast, and we think, how frightful. Before we even get to that, the Lord is reminding us, I'm sovereign over that.
0: Mm -hmm. I am sovereign over the enemy that I'm going to open up and explain to you.
1: J.K. Beale continues,
0: he says, indeed, the dragon only exercises his authority over the earth and sea because he has been expelled from heaven and placed in the earthly sphere by God's punitive hand. This is why the six uses of, quote, it was given, unquote, explaining the authorization of the beast's activities in chapter 13 must ultimately be understood as divine passives. God's decree finally rules over all the activities of the devil and his servants. That is the point of encouragement to the seven churches. Point two, we're going to wrap up
1: here in just a few minutes. I'll be brief. The seven thunders. Excuse me. Verses three and four. And he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring.
0: When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. I know you guys know this. So nobody ever saw High Noon with Mr. Cooper. Okay, put that on your list to watch. You've not watched the Western until you've seen High Noon. But you remember the MGM lion, right? When a movie starts, you hear that lion roar. It's iconic. And I you know, I, I thought about this when I'm reading this verse, and I'm thinking about this line. You know that that lion's been roaring since 1924? That's how
1: long it's been, yeah, random um, trivia there. But why, what's the imagery there? What is the imagery? It's a powerful statement. You're getting ready to watch the movie and you hear the lion roar, What do you do? Oh, the movie's starting. I got to pay attention. Right. That's the picture here, though, when the angel speaks as a lion roars,
0: it gets attention. And when he calls out, the scripture says seven, seven thunders sounded.
1: So whenever we see the number of seven in scripture, what does it tell us? It's a picture of completion or perfection.
0: The thunders are a picture of the complete, perfect voice of God, his glory on display as divine direction is issued from the throne. And so here the angel is, he's got marching orders from God to go do what God has directed him to do. And then we find verse four, when the seven thunders had had sounded, it was, I was about to write, John's about to write down what he hears. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders had said and do not write it down. Now, there's a ton of conjecture about what the seven thunders are talking about. But the point here is that there is something that we are not supposed to know. So when you look at thunder in the scripture, it directly links us to the final day of judgment. I want you to see this. Revelation 16, verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Now that is directly talking about the last bowl of judgment being poured out. That is the day of judgment, the end of it all. And Scripture tells us that there are flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. So, what do we make of the command to not write down what John heard? Well, I think it's just a restatement of the fact that God is pleased to not tell his people when he's coming back. We talk about the seven thunders. This is the voice of God in its perfection, and I think it's talking about his return. And John is told, seal it up. Daniel by the way is told what? The same thing in Daniel chapter 12. But you Daniel shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Deuteronomy 29:29 29, 29 says the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Our focus is not on what the seven thunders said and we don't get to know.
1: Mm -hmm. Now it's tantalizing to conjecture, but what is scripture telling us? I have told you what
0: you need to know. The hidden things of the Lord are the hidden things of the Lord. Does it mean that God does not love us if he doesn't tell us, all of his divine counsel? No. But what would you do if you knew the time, the exact time of his return? Set an alarm. He'd set an alarm. <laughs> I can snooze until he gets here. Well, look, we'll give it an hour before he comes back. Then we'll get awake, alert, have our
1: coffee, and be ready with our lamps trimmed. No, we wouldn't. No. No. Some things, and I think this what
0: this pictures is, is is that this is a reminder that some things are not our business. What was not Israel's business? How many soldiers they had? Mm -hmm. That was not their business. God didn't want them to know that because it had nothing to do with their victory. We don't need to know when he's coming back. Scripture's clear on that. So what is our business? I want to re- remind you of Peter's last words that he writes. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I
1: promise we're, we're wrapping up. <clears throat> 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Why does he say that?
0: Does a thief announce when he's going to break into your house and rob you blind? No, Why? Because if you knew, what would you do? I'd make sure the alarm was on. I had the gun loaded. I'd make sure the door was locked. I'd sit there in my couch or on my chair right in front of the door waiting for him to come in. The thief doesn't tell you. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What does Peter say? What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Mm-hmm. Point number one that Peter makes to us at the day of the Lord, while everybody's worried about the date and the time of his return, in which no one knows, the scripture says, but the Lord, what are we to be concerned about? Well, the question that you and I should ask each
1: one of us is, am I ready? Am I, Danny, ready for the Lord to come back? Am I? That's your business. What sort of people
0: ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved; the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We're waiting expectantly. That's good. That's what we should be doing. Verse 14, therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, here's the next thing we're supposed to do. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. How do we do that? What is our righteousness? The Lord. I have an accuser who is at war with me, who slanders me and accuses me and says, You're not worthy to come into the presence of God and pray. And what is our response to that? But I have the righteousness of Christ. I am without spot or blemish. And I am at peace with who? God. There is war going on all around us chaos, craziness, lawlessness
1: insanity what matters are you at peace with God that's that's all that matters verse 15 and count the
0: patience of our Lord as salvation why is the Lord delaying his return and he's not delaying his return but why is he not back yet he's not done redeeming his people but count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our, our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved. And these are the last words of Peter. You, therefore, beloved brother, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are things that are our business. Growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ is our business. That's why we're here. Trying to figure out what the seven thunders uttered, not our business. So what is the application or the blessing here as we close? Well, God is graciously reminding us repeatedly as we go through the book of Revelation that he is sovereign over the enemy. That is an anchor to our souls. Because as the enemy of our souls wages war against us and he is a powerful foe,
1: we are to look him in the face and recognize that he is a defeated foe. Rest in that. Secondly, he is covenantally faithful. What do I mean by that? God is
0: bound by his word, his promise, just like he told Israel, I'm going to get you from the doorstep of Egypt into the promised land, and I'm going to send my angel before you. And he will ensure that you arrive where you're supposed to arrive. Brothers and sisters, rest in the covenant Promise keeping word of God that if you are his child, he will
1: deliver you to the promised land. Where is that? It's not Wilkesboro, North Carolina, as much as we love this place. It's his presence, it's glory. And then, thirdly, he has
0: ministering angels in place as a reminder of his providential care and protection. This is not meant to be angel worship. It's just a reminder that God has his people protected. He has servants that are serving alongside of us that we don't even see. We're not alone. And when we're discouraged and downhearted, we need to remember the fact that God has his remnant and his angels to protect his remnant. And then lastly, the time of his his return is none of our business What are the things that we should be busying ourselves with? A, examining our own lives, concerned with the spiritual status of me. I I told you when we started, the book of Revelation draws sides, just like Elijah did with the prophets of Baal. Who do you serve? There's only one person that can answer that question. I can't answer it for you. You're here this morning. Everybody from the outside looking in can look at
1: you and say, well, that's a child of God,
0: It's a saint. They've made their decision. They are
1: on the side of the Lord. Not everybody here is necessarily a child of God. But I can't answer that. Only you can. Examine
0: our own lives. Secondly, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish. That is the righteousness of Christ there is anything else, and there is a debate in churches right now, near and dear to us, that we love over the extent of the requirements of the Sabbath and and how divisive that can become in the church. If you are resting in any other Sabbath besides the Lord Jesus Christ for your righteousness, it's a false gospel. It is a doctrine of demons. Be diligent to be found in him. Thirdly, take care that we're not carried away by false teaching and lawlessness. Again, it's God's word. That's it. I can't keep you from being led astray by false teaching. You can't keep you, but God keeps us. But we're to be stable in His word. And then lastly, focus on growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have brothers and sisters, a responsibility to grow.
1: How do you do that? God has given us means to grow. Get into his word.
0: As we look at perilous times in which we live, there is only one thing that will anchor our souls and that is the word of God. That's the only answer. These are the things that are our business that we must be about. Not figuring out
1: with the seven thunders utter, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your word, Father. Thank you for the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ,
0: Father. As our accuser would flood us with false doctrine and false teaching and twists and variations of the true gospel, so that we would rest and trust in anything other than the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have promised to keep us. And the scripture says, if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. We recognize that deception is that great, but you are greater and you will keep your people. And we rejoice in that this morning. We rejoice in the fact that our enemy is a defeated foe and that our Savior has conquered. He has defeated Satan and he is seated at the right hand of our Heavenly Father,
1: even now. We look forward to the soon return of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.